Welcome to You, Me, and PD, a podcast about the experience of living with Parkinson's disease where we share the voices of both the caregiver and the diagnosed. Jeremy Lickness received his diagnosis of young onset Parkinson's disease in early 2020. He and his wife Doreen share candid conversations about symptoms, solutions, challenges, triumphs, and both the physical and emotional aspects of living with Parkinson's disease. Season one, the year of the diagnosis. And now your hosts, Jeremy and Doreen. Hello, and welcome to episode two, A Time for Change. My name is Jeremy Lickness, and I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, young onset Parkinson's disease, back in February of 2020. And I'm here with my wife, Doreen. Hello, everyone. I'm Doreen. I was diagnosed in February 2020 to be Jeremy's care partner in his journey with young onset Parkinson's. And that diagnosis was the topic of our last episode. We covered sort of the steps leading up to the diagnosis and initial reactions. In this episode, we want to dig deeper into how our life changed as a result of the diagnosis and talk about some of the initial reactions. So we'll start with you, Doreen. What was your initial state of mind and how did you picture things changing after we received that diagnosis? Just to recap a little bit from episode one, I was relieved to hear what we were heading into and what we were dealing with. My initial thoughts were, number one, I didn't want you to suffer. And then because at that point you were already very uncomfortable. You weren't on medication yet. My next thought was, is this going to impact your job in any way? Because you were still relatively new to the company. And then um, we walked away from your diagnosis with a prescription for Repinerol. And I was just very hopeful that it would help. But um, it did ultimately. But the process to get there, I, I think you were a wee bit uncomfortable. Yeah, that was a very painful process. We mentioned this on the last show, but I started taking Repinerol and immediately had side effects. And for me, the day that I started taking it, or actually it might have been a day after, uh, and well, let me pause there. For those of you not familiar with Repinerol, Repinerol is also known as Re Requip, I believe is the brand name for the the drug. And what it is is a agonist. So it's not dopamine, but it is a medication that helps your body produce more dopamine. So the thought was that it was early enough in my diagnosis and my symptoms were less severe so that it could be managed without going to levodopa, which is the, the main prescription. And the nice thing about Repinerol is there's a pretty big range of strength that you can take. And it doesn't have as many long-term side effects, although there are side effects. And fortunately for me, I haven't had any major side effects after I started taking it. But let's you know talk about that first day because I remember the first thing was I started getting really bad stomach cramps, bad enough that I was on the floor <laughs> aching. 
And then the worst thing was I suddenly just felt nauseous, dizzy, anxious, paranoid, and depressed at the same time. Like it was just this crushing, overwhelming weight. And I know during you decided to take us on a road trip to take my mind off of it. That's the the famous counting 15, 20, 40, (laughs) 60, 100 eagles road trip. But uh, I just remember bending over in the passenger seat thinking, I can't do this. And then Sunday was a little bit better. And then Monday was even better. And then the really cool thing for me was my typing had taken a hit. Obviously, I'm in IT. I'm at my keyboard all the time. And typing slow is is not good for my job. And suddenly, my hands were working again. And I started being able to type again. And suddenly, my foot wasn't cramping. I had this severe dystonia every night. My foot would cramp so bad I had to like physically put my hand on it and hold my foot to keep it from cramping. So so things I think turned around and then I would get a wave of the side effects every time my dose increased. But fortunately knowing what to expect it wasn't as negative or impactful if you will. Mm-hmm. It was it was really hard to watch because I normally wouldn't see you on the floor writhing in pain until that time frame you're talking about. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, you tried. You you did what you could and <laughs> you tried to take my mind off it. And, you know, in a way, it was something that helped me get through it. We both agreed that if it continued like that, that we'd stop with the medication, switch it, but it did get better. So I really appreciate the help through that time period. I got your back. You got my back. Were there any other initial, I guess, thoughts you had related to just how life would change? Uh, no, I didn't know what to expect other than for me, what works best is one day at a time. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something. I remember one of the things that was really important to us was talking about how we would share it with friends and, and family. And the big question that everyone faces is, when do I tell my employer? And I'm not recommending everyone take the approach that I do because every company is different. Every set of people you work with is different. But I felt very comfortable and confident that the place that I was working, Microsoft, would uh, be accepting and helpful and not... That they would help me succeed in my job with my condition as opposed to telling me I had to find something else to do, right, uh, with it. So, I decided that I didn't want to hide it and I would come out right away. I don't know how you felt about that decision. I I, I thought you were a bit crazy. But I'm like, that's your decision. And I was like, are you sure you don't want to wait a week or, you know, and you're like, no, you were very adamant about it. And I... now, being on the other side of it, I'm really glad you took that approach because you felt so relieved after you had that conversation. It was a relief. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, we told close family first before people found out about it on social media. And I wanted to make sure my new manager, because uh, I mentioned in the last episode, I was hired the same time I was diagnosed. 
And it turns out that my manager has a grandfather who had Parkinson's disease. So he was very familiar with it, very understanding about it. And um, really just wanted to know like what my course of action was, how it was affecting me. And um, I decided, you know what? I've done a lot in my career to be an advocate for developers, for programmers. This is way more important and impactful than that. I want to use my voice to impact Parkinson's in a positive way. And that was why I decided to basically start a blog, be very vocal and open and personal about things going on. And I remember I did two blog posts. I had a technology blog that I do for my development career. And I started a new personal blog, strengthwithparkinsons.com. And I made a very in-depth post talking about everything leading up to the diagnosis and the fact that I was diagnosed. At the same time, I guess one of the resources we went to immediately was the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And that was just amazing information. I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't been to the site. There are interviews, there are guides, there's a booklet that's for people new to diagnosis, there's materials for caregivers, just really phenomenal site. So I said, you know what, they're a organization that is looking to go out of business, right? They want to find a cure and then there's no longer a reason. So I started a fundraiser right that exact moment. And so I made a blog post and I started the fundraiser. And I'll tell you what, the, um, the outpouring of support that came from that was just incredible. I had hundreds of people reach out and I did two posts. I did a post on my technology blog that mentioned my new position. And I linked to it. I said, oh, and I have some personal news. Here's my personal blog. And then I did the personal blog. And just so many people reached out. I had people start making donations immediately. And the fundraising surprised me because I've never done major fundraising out of like local, like high school cookie drives or popcorn sales or whatever, right? And so, we ended up raising over 10,000. I think we were at like 11 or 12,000 towards a 15,000 goal. I set a pretty aggressive goal. And on top of that, Microsoft matches my contributions. So everything I donated into it got matched. Some of my coworkers took the match. And I just found out that we were recognized as uh, one of the top fundraisers for 2020. So that was pretty exciting. There's a uh, event that the Fox Foundation is going to have that we get to get invited to. So what was your, do you recall kind of your reaction or things that you saw when I went public with the blog post and people started becoming aware? It was comforting to learn that there was this unknown community of people up until this point of your diagnosis that were just so supportive and 
just willing to help out in any way. And it, it just made me feel like, okay, we're not in this alone, which I, I knew all along, but that just really reinforced everything for me. Yeah, reinforcing it is is huge. It was interesting to me to see the range of reactions between, you know, you've got this, we're here to support you, to, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, you know, and it's <laughs> it was meant from a good place, yeah. but it was just a, a spectrum. and and. I understand that some people listening to this who have had a diagnosis, it was very impactful. And I'm not saying it wasn't impactful to us. We just took it in a a positive light. And um, I think that's because of several things. There's a, a history of of challenges that we've faced in our life that we've overcome. But more importantly, my faith was a huge part. I just have a huge optimism and faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I know that God has my back. And knowing that really helped help me navigate through those initial days. And then the outpouring of support from our church was incredible, too. Mm-hmm. It was. Oh, and let me just um, piggyback real quick about announcing to your employer about your diagnosis. Since then, I've learned of different people's journeys that they're hiding it and they're seven years out from diagnosis and they are so stressed to hide the diagnosis from their boss and their coworkers, but they just feel that there's, I don't know their situations obviously, but they just say they, they, are unable to to say anything out of fear of getting fired or laid off just because of their medical coverage. And I just cannot imagine the stress of trying to keep a secret like that for years. I can't imagine that either. And I obviously respect everyone's individuality and decisions. And there's different environments. It's definitely naive to think that there aren't places that would look at it in a poor light. So I'm very thankful and grateful to be working for a company that sort of has my back, right? But yeah, keeping it a secret. I mean, I've always felt that being genuine and honest is the way to go. And and I know some people believe that there's places you compromise for the better good. And it's just not in my DNA. I don't believe that at all. I believe things can be tough when you face the truth, but that's part of the process and part of living up to it. So it was, it was very, to be honest, it was very easy for me to say, I'm going to come out and be public about it and open. Uh, I was concerned that I didn't hurt you or cause you fear or pain because of that decision, because I know you were (laughs) concerned about it. So one of the things that came up as we received the diagnosis was support groups, which is, um, I'll I'll tell a short story because I do have exposure to support groups. When I was younger, I had uh, some episodes of severe depression and was given a diagnosis of, I thought it was bipolar manic depression. I know I was prescribed Zoloft and anti-anxiety medication. And I was sent to some support groups, and I totally hated the experience and was 
miserable and couldn't wait to get out of it. But I was also young and, and had a different mindset. One of the things that I remember our movement disorder specialist telling us was that a lot of people with the diagnosis are a lot older. And a lot of people in the support groups that they run are in a more advanced phase of that. And I know just from when we went to the Michael J. Fox Foundation and saw interviews, you see people who have certain symptoms. And so he was like, you know, I, I don't want you to go into this group and feeling like you don't belong and being concerned over symptoms because everyone's journey and path is different. And not everyone advances stages in the same way or has the same symptoms. But you went out and started researching immediately young onset mm -hmm. support groups. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate your doctors being candid about, I mean, he basically said, I don't recommend you go to the ones um, in their clinic because the patients are much older. And he said, I, I don't think you need to be scared. So, do it. you remember how you found the support group we ended up with? Um, I don't. I, th I really don't. I was I know looking. You were doing your cyber sleuthing. Well, I think I Washington State, and then there were some further away from home, and that's where I think I started dialing it in. Oh, and by the way, is it important to note the outcome of uh, going back to your initial support group experience when you were? Early, early. By outcome, you mean that I haven't had to stay yeah. on medication? Yeah, and you're yeah. no longer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely no longer a depressed person. And I think, again, when I talk about my optimism for this diagnosis, overcoming depression is, and this is not to say, I want to be clear for people that depression can be a very chemical state and sometimes needs to be managed in certain ways. It was very obvious mine was a combination of I needed the medication to get to a point where I could clear my head and make a change. And just to add another anecdote and roll a story inside a story and make a short story boring, when uh, I was on the Zoloft, that I was, I was in a lifestyle in St. Petersburg, Florida at that time that was not a great lifestyle. And I was going nowhere with my life or career. The medication to diagnose the support group got me to a point where I was able to take a step back and say, I need to make a change in my life. And I ended up getting a new job in a new city, Atlanta, that I'd never been to before. I knew absolutely no one. It turns out someone I did know had moved there, but I didn't know it at the time. And I packed up everything I owned, which fit inside a two-door Honda Civic which I'm pretty sure it was clothes, a computer, and my cat. <laughs> and I drove to Atlanta, Georgia, and decided to start a new life. And a week after I moved, I met Doreen. <laughs> so there was a great outcome from that. But I do think that moving through that helped me also be more optimistic and look at what I can do and not what I can't do when it came to my diagnosis, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So I remember the uh, first support group meeting is pivotal, and we'll talk about this in later episodes, some of the challenges that, that came at us that had nothing to do with my diagnosis. 
But even meeting his name is Brian, who runs the local support group, was not only awkward because it was my first time meeting a, a total stranger, disclosing my condition, first time meeting someone to consider going into a support group, but COVID happened. <laughs> And the pandemic was just ramping up. I remember we were even thinking, do we even go at this stage? And we decided to go, and I'm glad that we did. Mm -hmm. And we went to this bookstore, and I remember there were no mandated masks, so no one had masks on. But people were familiar that this was becoming an issue. And it was like, basically, if we stepped up to use the restroom, it was get the hand sanitizer on, clean your hands, kind of safe distance, no physical contact. We were kind of following those things at the time. So that was a little bit of an awkward start, mm-hmm. but it turned out to be a great conversation. So, Brian, if you're listening to this, it was not awkward meeting you. It was yeah, a situation was, because of COVID. <laughs> it was absolutely awkward because of COVID. Brian is actually amazing. He made me immediately comfortable. He shared so much. And this group has just been amazing. We've done so many things with the group. Basically, when the group started, they were doing all of these types of events like kayaking. And there's a a a hike that goes uh, down the Pacific Crest Trail using llamas, llamas, right? <laughs> Carry <laughs> That's so cool baggage. So, so all of these things are happening, and of course, it had to change because of COVID. So, my first support group meetings were their first meetings, doing it virtually over Zoom, which was an interesting experience. We'd kind of throw the tablet on the the island in the kitchen and and do that and we actually here's something that's a little strange we were even doing zoom meetings with our neighbors because oh, we yeah. were quarantined from yes. them and we were good friends with our neighbors <laughs> so we found online games and and basically pursued it that way so i want to transition a little bit and talk about we've talked about kind of the actions and things but i want to talk about how a time for change is what we're calling this episode. And I had to change some things about what I was doing. And the way that Parkinson's was impacting me was I mentioned my typing, which got better with the Repinerol. But just using a mouse, it seems like a simple thing. But using a mouse has become so difficult because my trimmer moves the mouse around And the worst part is I get these phantom clicks, like my finger will just accidentally click and I end up opening or closing windows. And what's started recently for me is I'll hold down the right mouse button and I don't even know I'm holding it down. So it'll suddenly freeze and I'm stuck with that. But there was a incident that happened before my medication was helping me out that really shone, shined a light. Shown? Shined. <laughs> anyway, it Shine illuminated like a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> it illuminated the experience, and that was. Do you remember the snowshoe experience? This was before you were diagnosed. Yes. This, yeah. So yeah, I remember the snowshoe experience. Yeah. So one of the exciting things about living in the Pacific Northwest is we get to go hiking in the summer, and then in the winter, no problem. We put on snowshoes and go snowshoeing, and we've done really cool snowshoes, snowshoe. <laughs> 
snowshoeing, <laughs> we've been on a volcano, right? We snowshoed Mount Baker, and we've been snowshoeing at night. But one of the things is Doreen has a, a back condition. She's fused from her neck to her sacrum with how many pounds of hardware? Five pounds. Five pounds. See, that's another one. I tell people it's six and a half. So <laughs> it's going to be 20 pounds of hardware soon. But five pounds of hardware. And she can't bend over. So I've always been the one to help her get her snowshoes on. And I remember very close to our diagnosis, we went and I could not get my fingers to work to get these stupid snowshoes on. And I was getting so frustrated. And I couldn't understand why something as simple as just pulling a strap over and buckling it on was so difficult. I had no idea. And standing there watching you, I'm like, oh my gosh, he, why is he struggling? This, this is different. And because first you, then I watched you put yours on and you were struggling just as much with your own snowshoes. And I was like, huh. Yeah, I didn't think I would be thankful for the fact that I can still put my own shoes on and off. It is more difficult now, but uh, it is still something that I can do. But there was a other episode that was also related to that, which is, I'm going to call it a success story. Unfortunately, we didn't get to go snowshoeing again this season, so I don't have a before and after story. But one of the things that I did that seems so mundane is Doreen bought this beautiful lamp. <laughs> it is a very beautiful lamp. I like it. I'm but glad it, you like it. It had something that I ask her to uh, typically try to avoid, and that's assembly required. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And it, it's not that I, I don't like assembling. It's that I fundamentally was born even before my diagnosis with this inability to truly understand instructions. So I'll think I'm doing something great and I'll find out that I installed a panel upside down. So it's like the one black panel and everything else is wood colored. And I'm always, um, when I'm like putting up shelves, I'm always like, are they going to stay at a right <laughs> angle? Are they still standing? That's our ongoing joke, right? I put together a bookshelf and... You do your best. The books are still on the bookshelf. That's right. Yes. I do do my best. So this lamp had a little place to tighten with a tiny little Allen wrench. Mm -hmm. And I was having so much trouble. It started out just not being able to get the Allen wrench into the slot and get that to work correctly. Then that escalated to my hand cramping severely and having pain. Then that triggered tremors. And I think I was pretty much, let's just say, beside myself. Can we just... Uh, for a moment, say that if there's any funny sounds in the background at this point, it's because of Princess downstairs. Yeah, you just said it. Okay. <laughs> we have a new member of the family. I hear her fussing. Maybe you guys can't hear her, but if you do, that's what well, it she'll is. She'll be a guest on the show. We'll be bringing guests on. So <laughs> if uh, she becomes very vocal on the show, we'll we'll bring Miss Pepper on a little... German Shepherd, which I'm sure we'll talk about more detail in a future episode. So with the lamp, for the listeners to understand this, I'm not, I wasn't able to do this because the place where the screw was is way down near the floor, 
add a 150-pound base for the lamp. So, as Jeremy said, I can't bend to do it. Right. So, that's the only reason why he was trying to do this. Well, I was going to say it was because I'm a great husband and I'm always offering to help and do <laughs> things you. for you. <laughs> you are a great husband. Oh, thanks. And you do a lot for me, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So, the, the very cool thing about that was that was a, a spotlight on what Parkinson's can do. But then, I don't know what the next project was, but... Well, the whole thing there was the lack of communication with the lamp assembly. Right. Yeah, that, that's important too. And I'm glad you, you brought that up because I was having... And at that time, we knew about my diagnosis. So, I was having issues... And I was expressing myself just as angry and frustrated with the lamp and didn't really mention that it was because of Parkinson's that I was actually having these challenges. And so that's something that we realized afterwards. Uh, I'm glad we had to talk about mm -hmm. this, that I need to do a better job of explaining when I'm challenged because of this. Right. Because you can't read my mind and you can't exactly. tell for, for all you know i'm just being cranky and don't yeah. like to do the job that that's what i thought and i was do. like oh my gosh <laughs> so yeah, yeah that, that's a good point so you're thinking you know he's mad at me because i asked him to do something i'm thinking oh my gosh i cannot get my hand to work right and, uh, <laughs> i'm glad we can laugh about it at this point but what's cool is i've had to assemble some things afterwards and the medication i'm on and the things i've been doing has has really helped and i've not had those issues mm -hmm. with screwdrivers or Allen well, wrenches or yeah, you've done a great job very recently, and I was just so impressed that I was like, oh my gosh, he did this so quickly. It's still standing, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's still standing. <laughs> the lamp still illuminates. <laughs> That's the key. So I don't know if you had anything else. I had one other thought, and that is something that we will dedicate an episode to, which is uh, exercise and nutrition. But one of the first things that I did, based on just my background, I was formerly a certified fitness trainer and a specialist in nutrition. And I've always had a passion for those things. So I always look at how much can I control on my own. I appreciate what medication can do. But are there things I can do? And we did um, quite a bit of research on ways that we could slow the progression of the disease. And the two things that kept coming up over and over is that people who exercise more, and the more they exercise, the more powerful this effect is, have fewer symptoms and have a better quality of life. And the people who exercise seven days a week have better quality of life than six days a week when it comes to Parkinson's. And we found out that organic foods were important too. So I did a lot of research and I've always been into fitness, but this really helped me refocus and set some goals. And what I started out with was there's an online program and I'll go ahead and, and give the name because they were very helpful. It's called Daily Dose PD. They're at dailydosepd.com. And they provide Parkinson-specific workouts. And you may ask, well, what is that? Why is it Parkinson-specific? Well, there's a few things that you can do to really help with how exercise impacts Parkinson's. And things like integrating cognitive aspects to the training, like memorizing patterns, doing things like 
counting backwards or saying the alphabet out of sequence. That trains your brain while it's training your body. Then there's this idea of big motions, like our hands are always wanting to curl up because of the way the dopamine causes our muscles to contract. So open those hands, spread those hands wide. For me, what I got out of it too was that balance is so important. And I know every time I go for a checkup, they ask me to take my blood pressure sitting, then I stand, they take my blood pressure standing. So I said, what is the best way to practice sitting and standing? The burpee. And if you don't know what a burpee is, a burpee is the most horrible exercise ever devised. The person who invented it, and it's named after someone whose name was Burpee, it was someone who really did not like people, I think, because <laughs> he wanted to punish all of us. And a burpee is basically you start in a standing position, you drop to the ground, you basically squat down kick your legs out behind you so you're in a plank position, you do a push-up, then you pop your legs back underneath you so you're in a squat, and then you jump up. And people will do advanced versions where they jump up into a pull-up. But I said, you know what? I'm going to start with burpees. And I did a challenge of doing a set number of burpees every day. And I went from, I think it was something like 30 burpees to 100 burpees. And then I started thinking more and more. But I will get into this more in a future episode. The moral of the story, though, and where I think Doreen and I really came together with this diagnosis and facing the time for change, was we had a good plan and a, a very optimistic outlook. So we decided we are going to work together, communicate better, do things like exercise, improve our nutrition, and really plan for success. And I think we started off with uh, a great um, first few steps, mm -hmm. and then life threw a lot of curveballs at us. That it did. So we had some major... Life events, some of them will be difficult to talk about, but we're going to share those, and that will be the subject of a future episode, is the curveballs life can throw at you and how, how we dealt with ours that hopefully can help other people deal with theirs. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Again, I'm Jeremy. I'm here with my wife. That's me, Doreen. And we are so happy to share our story with you. We will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Jeremy and Doreen's journey and for the opportunity to contribute to a cure, please visit us online at youmeandpd.org. You, Me, and PD is produced by Poit Productions in New London, Connecticut. Our show is edited by Brandon Wen. Our music is by the Groove Chillers featuring Carl Franklin and yours truly, Doug Wolverton. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.